the reality of the situation is the diet binge cycle does not start with dieting. It actually starts with trying to be thinner, wanting to be thinner. That's the actual center of this problem. If this whole sort of thing called you need to be thin in order to get love and respect didn't exist, this whole food problem would largely evaporate overnight. Welcome, you're on air with Ella, where we share simple strategies and truths from people who are doing something better than we are. Whether it's wellness or fitness and fat loss to just living better and with more energy or changing your mindset to accomplish more in your own life and succeeding however you define it. This is where we share the best of what we're learning from the experts and we're learning more every day. Live better, start now. Hey guys, it's Ella. I am recording this intro in the San Diego airport. So <laughs> people are looking at me like I'm absolutely nuts. And I'm sure the sound quality will be utterly compromised. But don't worry, this is just the intro. I wanted to tell you a couple of things before this rather mind-blowing episode. First of all, many of you will have heard of Isabel Fox and Duke, but this is actually the first time she and I have worked together in any capacity. And I'll tell you something, we, our energy is just explosive. So we connected, she sort of cracked my head open on a bunch of issues, and the journey is just beginning for me here on some of the topics that we're about to talk about. Now, I wanted to tell you a couple of things. If you're new to the show, I have to warn you, my guests and I don't normally scream at each other. <laughs> <laughs> Isabel and I are in like such violent agreement and she was making me think so much and like she's super high vibration and I'm super high vibration when I get motivated and inspired by somebody. So we're basically like violently agreeing with each other and we're a little raucous. <laughs> so if you're new to the show, I'm sorry, but it is kind of fun to come along for the ride. Just wanted to let you know also that I was going to bleep out some of the colorful language and I, I chose not to. It's just very authentic and it flows in the conversation. So if you have little ones around, pop in some earphones or something or save this for later. Okay. Also, because this is time sensitive, I want to tell you a couple of things. So we go a little long in this interview and you'll see why there's just a lot of good content. And I had a hard time even cutting off the conversation because I just didn't want to, but I am going to do more work with Isabel. I am actually going to take her coaching class as a student. Like that's how inspired and motivated I am. Now we don't go into detail about that coaching class at all. I'm going to do a part two to this episode and tell you a lot more about my experience. Kind of like I did when I interviewed Dr. John Berardi, which you guys loved about the perfect diet. I'm going to record a solo episode to follow this one up. So you'll see that from me next. But because this is time sensitive, I did want to draw your attention to something that we talk about at the very, very end and that you'll find in the show notes. And that is just that if you can connect to Isabel's free three video series, free, okay, it's free. <laughs> But if you can go ahead and sign up for that video series, you'll get one video a day for three days in a row. And you and I will kind of be speaking the same language and be on the same journey together. Okay. So I'll talk more about the coaching stuff later, but the thing I'm referring to at the end of this episode is just a three days worth of free videos. And I'd love for you to download them because Isabel's amazing. And so many of you are struggling with so many of the issues that we talk about in this episode. And I've already watched them and they're powerful 
And I just want to start a new dialogue with you guys. And I just love some of the language that she brings to the table. So that's all there. You know, you can get the show notes by clicking on the show art, like the cover, and it'll sort of flip around and you can see links to the show notes. So it'll be in there or just go to onairwithella.com and type in this episode number and you will always find what you need there. Okay. Any questions, email me at contact at onairwithella.com. I love you guys. I can't wait to talk so much more about this. Okay, here we go with Isabel. Hey everyone, you're on air with Ella, and today I'm joined by Isabel Foxen Duke. And if ever there was a name created for media, Isabel, it was Isabel Foxen Duke. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for having me. Isabel, I want you to tell people who you are and what you do. Well, I help women stop feeling crazy around food. And the reason that I describe it this way is because that's how I felt around food for a really, really long time. And I'll just give a brief description of what that meant. (laughs) Um, I come from a world of intense dieting, right? I was started dieting when I was very, very, very young, like so young that I don't even really have conscious memories before I started dieting kind of hating my body. I've heard you say it was pre-K, Isabel. Is that true? Yes. Yes. I was put on a diet by my pediatrician when I was three. So my parents were controlling my food. It wasn't like, oh, Isabel had this idea to go on a diet. But my food was being controlled by the time I was three because I was a, I was a you know, bigger baby. I was high on the B, B, baby BMI scale. Um, I always say, I'm like, well, somebody's got to be in the 95th percentile. That's how percentages work. <laughs> You're like, but I'm like, just really good at what I do. <laughs> right, 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 right. Somebody's got to be in the 95th percentile. But of course, you know, living in the society in which we live, highly fat phobic society, you know, the doctor immediately was like, oh, you've you got to do something about this. You got to like make sure that you you don't have a fat baby. Right. And so the answer was, of course, to put me on a diet when I was three, put me on like a, like basically like a low carb diet when I was three, um, which promptly made me obsessed with carbs. Again, I don't have so many conscious memories, but I know the whole time I was growing up, I felt obsessed with food, right? I felt like, you know, my hunger was bottomless. If I didn't actively sit on my hands trying not to eat, I would just eat all of the contents of my kitchen. I would sneak food in the middle of the night when I thought my parents weren't looking, you know, like those kinds of things. And yeah, like that was my life as a kid. And then certainly well into adulthood, it only got worse, right? Because now I'm starting to control my own food. I'm starting to actively diet. My shame around it is just increasing and increasing as I get older. And as so this was sort of my life. My whole life is sort of begins with, hey, Isabel, there's something wrong with your body. You've got to try to make yourself smaller. I internalized that pretty quickly. I mean, again, I have no conscious memories of not feeling like there was something wrong with my body and that I had to make my, try and make myself smaller and control my food at all costs. So I was constantly trying to control my food. But simultaneously, and this is the thing with so many people out there who are dieting or trying to control their food or trying to lose weight or whatever, simultaneously, I was also obsessed with food, right? Like, I just felt like my favorite thing in the world was chocolate, right? Like, like I just felt like so compelled by food and I had to literally sit on my hands trying not to eat it. Like, don't eat it, don't eat it, don't eat it, don't eat it. You know, if there was cake in the house, if there were brownies, oh my God, if there were brownies in the house, like it was just... I was like kind of terrified. I was like, oh my God, don't crack. Don't eat them. Don't eat them. Don't eat them. Um, You know, this kind of feeling around food, it's just like, I just felt like I was just a person who could just eat everything in sight. If I didn't, again, actively sit on my hands trying not to eat, which I was typically trying to do, but often failing. 
It's like a binary choice where you're either eating all the things or you are actively not eating all of right. the things. <laughs> I get right, it. right. Yeah. So I was trying to be on the wagon of eating the right way and trying to do whatever diet it was, whatever you know, weight control mechanism I was pursuing that day, that week, that month, I was always trying to be on the wagon, right? I was today is day one, I'm going to get it this time. You know, I'm finally going to like lose the weight. There was always a goal weight, right? Or there was always something like, okay, I'm finally going to do it this time. I'm finally going to get it right. Finally going to, you know, stick to this one. And inevitably, I would fail, I would fall, right? And I would, I, I would fall off the wagon. And when I would fall off the wagon, when I was a kid, it was just like, Oh, I ate the whole thing or Oh, whatever. But by the end of my adulthood, I mean, it was pretty like extreme binge eating episodes, right? Like it was like eating the entire contents of my kitchen and going to the store to buy more food, like those kinds of binges. But again, as a kid, it was less, you know, I think that this is this is totally spectrum. But this experience of being like, oh, my gosh, don't eat it, don't eat it, don't eat it. I'm on the wagon. I'm on the wagon. I'm being good. Look how strong I am. I'm awesome. I'm going to be so thin and everyone's going to love me. Right. Like, And there's always like this fantasy attached. Like when I'm when I'm successfully on my diet, I feel awesome. I'm like, yes, I am on my way. And then of course, something would happen, you know, some food would like start calling my name, be like, eat me, you know, like that's how it felt. And eventually it would be like this, like this craving, if you want to use that word. And then eventually it would get me right. Like eventually it would take me down. Like inevitably it would take me down. And when it took me down, it took me down so hard. Right. And I would be, again, I've fallen off the wagon. I'm just going to eat everything that isn't nailed down. You know, of course, then, of course, there would be like, well, I might as well just keep going and then just try again tomorrow. Day one starts tomorrow. There was a lot of day one starts tomorrow. Might as well eat all the things today because tomorrow I'm going to never eat that thing again. Right. And so this is sort of the diet binge cycle classically defined. Right. I think lots of people are experiencing this. Some people are experiencing this in more extremes, meaning higher levels of restriction, higher, more intense binges. And some people are experiencing it in less extremes, meaning less dieting or less extreme dieting and less extreme reactions on the other side, right? Like, oh, I fell off my diet, no big deal. I was definitely more in the more extreme camp. I was really, really heavily hitting the restriction and really, really hitting like the obsession with weight intensely and, you know, was really engaging in eating disorder behaviors and then binging. So I would be on what you would call probably binge eating disorder spectrum and because I was effectively participating in restrictive eating disorder behaviors, but I just quote unquote, couldn't do it. I would binge on the other side. Right. And so that's sort of how a lot of people would describe binge eating disorder. So that was my, uh, that was my story. But again, I think that this is, this is something that lots of people are doing. Like this is the experience of so many women out there. It's just a matter of degree. It's just a matter of how severe, but because so many women are taught body shame and body hatred, so many women are dieting to some extent or trying to control their food and bodies to some extent. And as a result, most of them have experiences with these swings. Isabel, I think it's so important to connect this to so many different people who are like, well, wait, I don't have like huge extreme fluctuations. I've never eaten everything in the kitchen. And by the way, there's a there's a huge group of us who are like, well, I totally have. But yeah. there are so many of us, right, who can associate with either binge eating or, well, that's not me, but I am an emotional eater. Or, well, I do have a sugar addiction. That's why I cut it out of my life. And, and so in all these different ways, we have illegalized and legalized certain food groups and we say we are not dieting, but we really are. 
Yeah. I mean, people have all sorts of interesting definitions of the term dieting because it's become really chic. You know, like everyone now knows, well, diets don't work. Diets are bad. But let's get clear. What is the difference between a lifestyle and a diet? And I, I'll tell you what the difference is right now. Are you actively trying to control your body's size through like forcible behaviors, right? Like that's actually, and that's not my definition. That is not my definition. That is what science means when they say diets don't work, right? You can try whatever method of weight loss that you want to try, but you have a 95% chance of rebounding within three to five years, period, no matter what method you choose. And the second you're in your rebound phase, the second you're in your binge eating phase, the second you're in the putting the weight back on phase, no one likes to talk about that. And also, I think that it's also relevant to know that a lot of people in the three to five percent, right? Like a lot of those people are engaging in really, 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 you know, like extreme and intense behaviors that may even be diagnosed as eating disorder for a lot of people in order to like maintain really huge substantive weight losses, right? So this is sort of the other definition or other, the other component of feeling crazy around food that I often talk about is just literally obsession with food, whether it be, I really want to eat the brownies or obsession with trying to control food. Right. I mean, I was equally obsessed with trying to lose weight as I was with, Oh my gosh, I want to eat the brownies. I mean, the, the reality of the situation is that these were two sides of the same coin. I was obsessed with how am I going to get thin right? This is what we would call like restrictive eating disorder spectrum, right? The people are obsessed with trying to get thin and maybe don't binge, maybe figure out how to hold on. Maybe they're in that three to 5% who are like, hold on and just do it. But for the most part, right? Like most people are, most people end up rebounding and end up going the other way. And that's sort of how, what we would describe as, as binge eating. And that was certainly my experience. Well, what I love about your work is that you not only have a very interesting, insightful, and experienced point of view on the eating disorder spectrum, but you're also a thought leader and an activist in the body positive movement. And that's what makes your eating disorder work to me matter so much. Yeah. It's amazing how many eating disorder specialists don't talk about body image in any kind of real or substantive way. And at the end of the day, they're all really telling you how to get over it and still stay lean. And I think it's so important for me to get some truth on the table here, because I think it's so hypocritical if I don't get this on the table. And that is that I am evolving myself from a place where I'm like, really lean is everybody's objective. Like it's almost assumed that leanness is the goal and Mm -hmm. that that is the definition of success and that everything we do in some way or another, even though I'm extremely wellness focused and that's genuine, that's authentic. And and frankly, I believe when you pursue true wellness, your actual natural body shape ensues, but I didn't even realize how threaded through my work it was. It's so ingrained. And there's a population of people in this audience right now, Isabel, who are like, I don't stuff my face with brownies. I'm not relating to this hard. And I'm Like if you are controlling your food and you feel like a bunch of foods are illegal for you, listen up. We might have something for you here today. (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because we live in a culture that, again, to use your language, I think it was really well put. Like we just presume 
that thinness is the obvious goal and that that should be unchallenged and that everyone should be thin and a specific kind of thin, right? Like that's just presumed as normal. We do not even really look at or, or even consider the possibility that body diversity is a real thing. It is just presumed that wherever you are, no matter where you are in your body weight, right? Like you're just supposed to want to be thinner and that everyone's just supposed to like look like a celebrity on a cover of a magazine who's probably taking like sh shooting HCG shots. You know, like that's what we presume. It is incredibly unfortunate because the reality of the situation is the diet binge cycle, and I hope that this came across my story, does not start with dieting. It actually starts with wanting to be thinner, right? I mean, like trying to be thinner, wanting to be thinner. Be thin as this like value system of like, oh my gosh, I got to get thinner, I got to get thinner, I got to get thinner, I need to lose weight, my body's not good enough, my body. That's where this problem starts. That's mm. the actual center of this problem, right? If that didn't exist, this entire other problem called I feel crazy around food, I feel out of control around mm -hmm. food, I'm diet and cycling, emotional eating is also heavily correlated with dieting, right? All of these things, none of this problem with food. No women would have food issues, What's it, right? These food issues would largely not exist. I won't say entirely, but would largely not exist if we did not have this thin ideal that people were largely obsessed with and felt like my self-esteem depends on my looking a certain way. If I don't look a certain way, I'm not going to be treated well in society. I'm not going to, you know, get the things that I want to get, whatever it is, the relationship, the career success, whatever it is that I'm trying to get through thinness, because we're all trying to get something through thinness, right? Thinness is a status symbol in our society, right? If this whole sort of thing called you need to be thin in order to get love and respect didn't exist, this whole food problem would largely, not entirely, but largely evaporate overnight. Isabel, I think back to when I was a teenager and in my early adolescence, I didn't think about this stuff. I never gave it, I never paid it any heed. And then at, in my early teenager years, I was being taught through media, peers, family, you know, that thinness or leanness or long legs or you know all these things I did not have I've always been a muscular curvy girl that that the definition of beauty was x and so that is what I strove for I think so many of us see this and it's ingrained in us from every single angle but there are a few unicorns that prove your theory true everyone can probably identify one person in their life who just for whatever reason like they didn't get this you know what I mean like their family never talked about food or body image or maybe they didn't have teen magazine coming to the house I don't know maybe they didn't turn on cable television and they just eat normally like they just treat it like food and they don't have a relationship mm -hmm. with it so but right. everyone has like a normal eater that they can think about in their life who doesn't or, or maybe you are one. And if so, like, please come over and teach me your ways. Um, ah, yeah. But you're, I love how you reverse engineer this. Like so many of us, including me, are like, oh, sugar, or oh, binge eating, or oh, emotional eating. And you're like, let's dial it way, 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 way back to the root ball of this tree. Like the branches are emotional eating and binge eating and overeating right. and, compul you know, blah, blah, blah. Right. And the root ball is... I have to look a certain way. I'm not good enough. That, that exactly. is 1000% the root ball of this right. big yeah. old tree. <laughs> totally. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. If that, if you didn't feel the need to make your body look a certain way, none of this, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Right. And it's just amazing to me how many professionals, right. will talk about binge eating and emotional eating and all of these things. Right. And it's just the, and body image doesn't even really come up. It's, again, it's presumed that the answer is to try to become leanness. Another thing that's really interesting about 
this conversation is like, it's presumed when people, when most people, when most professionals are having conversations around binge eating, emotional eating, whatever, it's presumed that you should be able to get to a certain weight. In other words, it's presumed that diets do work. It's presumed that you should be able to become whatever size, right? It's completely, the concept of body diversity is completely ignored, right? It's not even really considered, right? And so no matter what is going on with your genetics or no matter what's going on, right, it is just presumed that you are just supposed to be a certain, and everyone internalizes this. Like I have clients come to me and they're like, well, I know this isn't my natural body size. And I'm like, well, why do you know that? You know? And they'll be like, well, because I'm binge eating or I'm emotional eating. I'm like, yeah, but are you also trying to control your food? Because perhaps binge eating is just your body's way of catching up to the fact that you've been like actively trying to restrict your carbohydrate in intake. Or perhaps, right, binge eating is just your body's way of trying to catch up. I mean, this is what binge eating actually is. Binge eating is a biological response to deprivation, right? Like if you try and control your food, your body thinks it's starving to death, right? Your body is like terrified of deprivation, right? And so the second, if you're not getting enough fuel, right, your body's going to binge as a way to ensure its survival, ensure, ensure its safety, right? So I think that this is, it's really interesting how the level, the different levels of weight normative assumptions that we make that really fuel this whole, the way that many, many professionals are talking about binge eating and emotional eating and compulsive eating as if it's like completely two separate conversations. It's like, oh yeah, I have a body image problem over there, but that has nothing to do with the fact that like I eat large tubs of ice cream in the middle of the night. Actually, it has everything to do with the fact that you eat large tubs of ice cream in the middle of the night because your body shame and your body dissatisfaction are fueling this thing called, you know, oh my gosh, I shouldn't eat that. Should I eat that? You know, da da da, da all the sort of diet mentality. And, and I think that we should probably also talk about diet mentality. It is a wide spectrum, not just of behaviors, but also thoughts and attitudes around food that inevitably affect our behaviors in some of the most subconscious ways, right? Isabel, I have to expand on this idea because I've heard you say there's no binge without deprivation. And that cracked my world open. And some people are like, well, I, I don't calorie restrict. Like, believe me, I'm not calorie restricting and I'm still binging. And what you're saying, which is so important, I want to make sure everybody hears it is deprivation is a mindset too. It is so not, I don't calorie restrict, but boy, do I have deprivation mindset. There's so many things on my no list and my don't do list. And I look at food as like a moral issue half the time. Right. And right. Or like a minefield, yeah. right? It's like oh, a minefield. Yes. Should I eat it? Should I not eat it? Am I really hungry for yes. that? You know, like all of those kinds of conversations that we have with ourselves are all <sighs> a form of diet mentality, which is, which is really your body perceives as a threat of deprivation, right? Diet mentality, it's like puts you into this sort of like state of anxiety around food, right? I think a lot of us, you could experience feeling crazy around food as a form of anxiety around food. Should I eat that? Is that okay? Is that going to like make mm -hmm. me like fat and unlovable, right? Like in all of the things that go through our minds, like, oh my God, if I eat that, I'm going to gain weight. And then that, well, that will be the end of the world, of course, right? That's what we think in our heads. And all of these things, we perceive food as some sort of threat, as some sort of like minefield that we have to manage. Mm -hmm. And whenever we're in that state, your body like is experiencing the complete opposite. You're terrified of the fat. Your body is terrified of the deprivation. Your body is terrified of not getting what it needs. And so this sort of biological instinct to try and like hoard food and get it all in right now mm. just goes into overdrive. I, in my video training series, which I know we also, we're going to talk about at some point, 
because uh, I know you watched it and had some questions about it, so we should definitely discuss. In one of the videos, we talk about the difference between physical deprivation and emotional deprivation. People typically understand the concept of physical deprivation. Like, I'm sitting on my hands trying not to eat carbs. Like, I'm trying to eliminate carbs, and so then, of course, the second I eat a carb, the second I have, you know, uh-oh, I had a roll at dinner, you know, it's like off the wagon, total, off to the races, whatever, right? Um, but emotional deprivation, even when people fully give up those kinds of rules and regulations, those kinds of hard rules and regulations around food, when we're still dealing with either the diet mentality that I just described or even um, what I would call emotional deprivation, which means like I'm eating something, but I feel like I shouldn't be eating the thing. Yeah, there's right? fear. Like, like there's actual right. fear of consequences. Right. Like I'm ner like, I'm like, oh, sh or I'm like, oh, I'm so bad. I shouldn't have eaten this thing or, you know, oh, it's so I can't believe I'm doing this. I'm, I, I'm, I clearly am falling off the wagon. You know, all of those kinds of any varietal of those kinds of like negative associations with food where, again, we sort of perceive food as a threat, as a thing that's bad, that's going to make us unlovable. And like, you know, we're just like one donut away from like never finding a partner and whatever, whatever other stories that we talk, tell ourselves, right? The, all of those things, again, they sort of bring food into the fold of food is a threat that I like need to control. And your body is experiencing the exact opposite at the same time. Your body's like, oh my God, the food's going to get taken away, right? Every time we're having any varietal of that emotion, it's like, oh my God, the food's going to get taken away. And that sort of drive to hoard food, that drive to like want it all and the feeling of out of controlness that so many have about, uh, so many of us feel around food is a direct reaction to that trying to control, right? Like my, probably my most popular blog post I've ever written is called like, you can't fall off of a wagon you're not on. If you're on a wagon, you're going to fall off of it. Feeling out of control around food is a direct reaction to trying to control food. The more I try to control, the more out of control I'm going to feel at some point. I've heard a lot of people then say, well, the antidote to this is intuitive eating. And I, I confess, Isabel, I really struggle hmm. with the concept of intuitive eating and then the application of intuitive eating. So people have a lot of trust issues around this. They're like, if I intuitive eat, you know, if I eat intuitively, I'm going to eat all of the things. And then it brings up all of this fear in them and all of the consequences that I'm talking about. Can you give us kind of your take on what's right and what's wrong with how we perceive intuitive eating? Yeah, so intuitive eating is largely the construct that you can eliminate. There are a lot of great, you know, doctors and nutritionists and awesome people out there who really get, oh yeah, the science is leading us towards understanding that the more we deprive ourselves around food, the more likely binge eating is to occur. Meaning like if I actually go and just try to not eat carbohydrates, I'm probably going to end up binging on carbohydrates at some point for purely biological reasons, right? And so a lot of nutritionists are getting the joke on this. Like it's not brain science, right? Um, it actually makes sense. We're human mammals. We have biological instincts around food. Like we're not actually designed to like cut out entire food groups. Um, we can't like forcibly starve ourselves very well, right? Most of the time, our biological <laughs> instincts will kick up and kick into gear. So a lot of nutritionists are on this tip. They they get that. Like that much, they kind of are like, okay, yeah, no, that's clear. Like if I physically try to deprive myself of stuff, the binge eating is more likely to happen. And that's a big popular argument that comes up in the whole diets don't work conversation. Okay, so what does that actually mean? 
What that actually means is you can't starve yourself or you can't deprive yourself of your body's physiological needs without rebound, probably, right? It's very, very, very hard to do. And if you're doing it successfully, you're probably in restrictive eating disorder land, right? By definition, you're depriving your body of what it needs. That is not healthy. The answer becomes, okay, so first things first, if we're going to treat this, we need to make sure that people are getting what their bodies physically need. We need to actually help people tune into their actual physical hunger signals and make sure that they are eating when they are hungry. Part of intuitive eating is instead of being like, oh, is it three o'clock? Am I allowed to eat lunch? Mm -hmm. Be like, hey, am I hungry? Am I physically hungry? Do I actually physically need food? I'm no longer going to take directions about when or what I should eat from Dr. Oz. I'm going to actually start taking direction from when or what I should be eating based on how my body actually physically feels. Am I hungry? Am I full? Does my body actually physically need nourishment? And the only actual way to know that is to actually like tune in and listen to yourself. No one's going to be able to tell you mm-hmm. really when you're hungry and when you're full and when you should be eating and when you shouldn't. Um, again, some exceptions specifically for people who are recovering from restrictive eating disorders. In those cases, your hunger signals, if you've been depriving yourself for a really, really, really long time, your hunger signals actually do get shot out. Um, after like a long period of starvation and being like underweight. Um, And so in those instances, people actually do often need to be put on sort of medically prescribed meal plans to kind of come back. So there are some exceptions for your average normal eater. The only, in my opinion, the baseline for intuitive eating is just like switching from taking directions about what to eat from like a page out of self magazine and switching to, okay, am I actually hungry? What am I actually for? Which are difficult skills to develop, right? And does take some time. You're like learning a language. You're learning how your body talks to you. It's a lot more messy and challenging. And there's not exactly a right or wrong way. Basically, by definition, is a gray area, is a spectrum thing, rather than what dieters mostly love to do, which is just go back and be like, tell me exactly what to do. Just tell me what to eat. Like, just tell me exactly what to do and I'll do it. That's how dieters operate. Of course, that's a very short-sighted way of operating because the reality of the situation is if I tell you what to eat, you're just going to rebound in like a month, three months, a year, whenever it is. But this intuitive eating thing, while it's challenging in the beginning, actually is theoretically physically sustainable because that's how your body was designed. You're designed to eat when you're hungry and you're designed to pretty much give or take stuff when you're full-ish. That's how most animals, and again, we are human animals, know how to eat. Okay, so that's the beginning. That's just the theory of what intuitive eating is. Now, here are some problems. Here are some common problems that people come up against when they're trying to employ intuitive eating. When people are actually trying to do this thing called, you know, generally take directions around their food based mm-hmm. on how their body's feeling, mm-hmm. they will often turn their hunger signals into rules. So they'll apply diet mentality in their attempts to approach intuitive eating, which is very, very problematic because then what happens if I'm not hungry and I do want a cupcake at the office birthday party, but I shouldn't, I'm not hungry, I shouldn't eat it, but I want it, but I shouldn't. And you're right, you're right back in the craziness, right? So a lot of people, when they approach intuitive eating with this sort of um, diet mentality. Still with the same mental constructs, right? Right. They end up exact same problems over and over again. It's like, oh, I ate the cupcake and I wasn't hungry and, or or I was I wanted to eat emotionally. This is actually the biggest one, right? Like I was like having a feeling and I wanted to eat something for comfort and I just like couldn't hold back, right? And then they're like, ah, I'm falling off the wagon, right? And then, you know, of course, it's like this turns in what could have just been a cupcake when I'm sad 
turns into like a giant diet mentality reactive binge, right? Like a re- this giant reaction to the fact that I've now fallen off the wagon and this whole sort of like mental story about how I'm off the wagon now and I suck, right? And so I always say, you know, the line between emotional eating and, and binge eating in my book, right? And I have a very different definition from the DSM because I think the DSM's definitions of binge eating are What's that incredibly mean? problematic. What's DSM mean? Oh, Diagnostic Statistical Manual. Oh, I obviously. Think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that yeah, just yeah. is that just like the canon, the generally accepted canon? Is that what that means, basically? It, it, yeah, it's exactly. Okay. It has the definitions of of like mental health diagnoses. So, for example, there's like you know a definition of binge eating disorder in the DSM. Okay, gotcha. I mean, I mean, you can read the DSM. But like, there's a lot of problematic things about it. And I would say, like, I'll just speak for I'll just stay in my lane. And I'll just speak for binge eating. You know, most people, whether it's the DSM, or like most people, I would say, I ask people, my clients, you know, what's the definition between binge eating and emotional eating, and they'll say things like, you know, it's like emotional eating so fast that I can't stop or like, it's emotional eating. That's mainly, I would say often actually the biggest difference for people is it's emotional eating a lot. Like it's emotional eating so much that like it hurts or like it's emotional eating like large quantities. People love to define binge eating by like volume of food, right? Like if I'm like have a craving, but I only have a cupcake, it's emotional eating. But if I have a craving and I eat 10 cupcakes, it's now a binge. I mean, actually that sort of resonates with me because sometimes you eat something sugary and starchy because you just want that comfort food. And frankly, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And then sometimes, yeah, you eat the entire sheet cake and yeah that feels different to me (laughs) right and so here's the thing that's how most people that's how most people define binge eating right because they're like okay i've now crossed a line of not okay right like i've now Mm -hmm. crossed a line of like i can rationalize that one cupcake is normal but i cannot rationalize that five cupcakes is normal i cannot rationalize that 10 cupcakes is normal like now we're we've crossed the line it's not okay right and that's how most people it sounds like yourself included, right? Like have a definition of binge eating that's actually heavily embedded in diet mentality and diet culture, meaning it is defined by what we think is okay and what we think is not okay, which while very normal, and that's how most people like think about it in their heads, is not actually useful for treatment. That's so important. Wait, I need to underline what you said. Yeah. (laughs) That's great, Ella. That may or may not be true for you. That may or may not be how you feel, but it's not relevant. It's not relevant. For treatment. Yes, this is huge. Useful. Right, <laughs> okay. exactly, exactly. And and what's interesting is that I'm going to give you a new definition that actually really will help you understand all of the things that we just talked about that were going through your brain, right? So binge eating, right, the way that I like to define these terms that I just think is most useful, right? Like we're not talking about the DSM. I just think this is just most useful Great. in like how we approach these topics, right? Binge eating is a reaction. Well, I'll start with emotional eating. Emotional eating is I'm, I'm bored. I want a cupcake, right? I'm sad. I want to eat something. It's just straight up eating in reaction to feelings, eating for comfort, eating for soothing, eating as a coping mechanism, basically. And theoretically, if we lived in a, you know, weight neutral land where people like weren't so obsessed with food all the time and so obsessed with like trying to control their weight all the time probably no one would care. Like this term emotional eating didn't really appear. I think I've mentioned this now. This is my second time mentioning this. Didn't really appear in the lexicon until like the 1960s or something, right? Like I imagine people have been eating outside of the context of fuel or outside of the context of hunger and fullness for thousands of years. But like now we have a word for it because it's so problematic and we need to problematize it, right? And this is all sort of a product of diet culture. 
So emotional eating, if you were taking out of the context of diet culture, and diet mentality is this big, like, ooh, bad wolf, I shouldn't be doing this, right? That's all it is. It's just using food for comfort. Just like I might watch television for comfort. I might, wa- you know, I might do any number of things for comfort. You know, again, you could talk about the harm of different coping mechanisms outside of the context of diet culture and outside of this obsession with thinness. Emotional eating is just not that big of a deal. People blow it way out of proportion Mm -hmm. because we're so obsessed with size. That's the only reason people really care about emotional eating. Now, binge eating, I'll give it a different definition, right? Binge eating is eating we do in reaction to dieting. It is a reaction to feeling deprived, Mm -hmm. right? And I think that we've given some really good definitions of binge eating today, so I'm not going to go into too much deeper, but I often will just eliminate the term binge eating entirely and I'll just call it reactionary eating just so that people are not confused, right? It's like just eliminate the term binge eating from your life and just start to get clear. Is this emotional eating or is this reactionary eating? Meaning, oh, I love I'm, that. Yeah. Meaning I am eating in reaction to feeling like it's going to get taken away tomorrow. Like might as well eat the whole pan now. And then tomorrow I promise I won't ever eat brownies again. The, the, the fact that this is something you shouldn't be doing or that you're going to try not to do tomorrow or the fact that it's, you know, something that you haven't allowed yourself to eat for so long, like, oh my gosh, I haven't had a piece of bread in three months. I'm going to just go wild on this bread, (laughs) right? Like it, it has, it has a relationship with the deprivation, right? It's eating that exists in, in proportion or in relationship to the fact that you are having either plans of dieting in the future or have deprived in the past or whatever. It's a reaction in some capacity to deprivation. And all, I think anyone who's ever dieted has experienced this to some extent. And that's very different than just, I'm sad I want a cupcake. Now, I will say for a lot of people, these things overlap, right? Because a lot of times the reasons that people fall off their wagons is because they're like, oh, I want that thing, right? And for emotional reasons or physical reasons, but let's just say it's emotional reasons, right? If you're like sad and you're like, oh, I just want some comfort and you've been, maybe you've been dieting even and you're just like, oh, oh just get me the ice cream, right? This, that is sort of a combination, right? These things can coexist. It can be emotional eating and reactionary eating, which is why I think so many people are confused about the difference between these two things, because obviously these two motivations can be commingled. Um, However, right, I think what's interesting is like the difference, the line, like where does emotional eating end and where does binge eating begin? Maybe it's a little bit too simplistic to separate them in those terms, but the line is like, where does the diet mentality start? Like, where am I reacting? Like just understanding like the two things that are motivating this behavior, right? Like, where is the diet mentality happening? Where am I actually having like a thought that's like shaming myself for eating this, or I shouldn't be doing this? Where is the diet mentality happening? And where is this just me like soothing and coping for comfort? Emotional eating is going to happen. Emotional eating, again, I don't think is that big of a deal. But that reactionary eating is actually optional, because it's optional to try and constantly be restricting your food and it's optional mm-hmm. to be shaming yourself about what you're eating. It's optional to participate in diet culture and diet mentality. So while emotional eating might not be optional, right? And emotional eating is probably just going to be like a part of a lot of people's lives, especially post-dieting because one of the symptoms of dieting also is that we're, we're more, um, we find food more comforting, right? We're more prone 
to moving towards food when we're under emotional duress. There's been a lot of research around this, especially in the book, Health at Every Size. You're saying that when you have a dieting mentality, it actually makes food more of a reward for you. Whereas if you're yes. a quote, normal eater, you just don't look at it that way nearly as often. You're saying statistically exactly. speaking. Statistically, yeah. Like, so there, there's basically, yeah, there's two things okay. going on. There's sort of the reaction, oh my gosh, I'm eating the thing in reaction to diet mentality. Oh, I'm eating this thing now and then tomorrow I won't eat it again. There's those kind there's that reactionary mm -hmm. eating and there's emotional eating, which is I'm sad. I want a cupcake. These two things can be happening at the same time. Sure. But what's interesting about emotional eating also as sort of a side note, as sort of a caveat is that emotional eating is just pure emotional eating, right? Like non-reactionary, just pure. I'm, I'm bored. I'm anxious. I want food to soothe sure. myself. That happens to also be, there's a, a lot of evidence. And again, a lot of this, um, the science behind this is outlined in Health at Every Size, this book, Health at Every Size, which is excellent, excellent. Um, the, the likelihood of, or like the, the degree to which somebody will turn to food for comfort increases dramatically when somebody is restricting or struggling with diet mentality or dieting. Okay. You know, with the, in the book, it's called Restrained Eaters. Restrained Eaters. Right. So I think in my mind, I have this vision of someone sitting on their hands trying not to eat. Restrained eaters are substantively more likely to want food when under emotional duress. Well, and I want to flag that a lot of restrained eaters are people like me who are totally healthy, I'm athletic, blah, blah, blah. And I'm a restrained eater, not because I restrict my calories at all or my volume right. at all, right. but because right. I restrict what feels legal to me and it makes me crazy. And then it ends up in some sort of falling off the wagon. So right, right. I, I want to open restrained, up that definition. Yeah. Restrained could be anything from, I mean, it's, 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 again, it goes back to that sort of anxiety around food, that feeling like food is a minefield that I have mm -hmm. to manage. Absolutely. Right. This feeling of like, uh, should I eat that? Mm -hmm. Maybe not. Better not. Is that too much? Mm, right. Like those, that feeling of like food is a minefield that I have to manage. Yeah. And we want to eat without having feelings. Like why do we even have to have feelings? <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, food is, we've turned it into a minefield. We've turned it into a source of anxiety. Like I would say not we, I'd actually say it's probably like a, a system bigger than us yeah. has made food a minefield for us by making us feel like our size determines our worth. And that particularly as women, this is something that increasingly affects men as well in larger and larger numbers, but I'll just speak to women for a moment because that's my primary audience, you know, especially for women, like you said, like you were trained into thinking not only that to be beautiful is to be thin, but that to be beautiful is the most thing is the thing that matters most in your life. Right. That it even matters at all. <laughs> right. Like that's the thing that's going to like ensure everything that happens to you in your life. Like that's the thing that's going to help you create family, which of course you've also like been trained as the most important thing, right? Like, like all the, everything you should want in your life is predicated on you maintaining, right? Acquiring and maintaining a specific kind of body, which is impossible for most people to actually get, right? And I know that there's also going to be people out there who are like, no, 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 no. But like, I'm actually just want to just be a quote, normal size. Like I'm X size, I'm way too big. And I just want to quote, be a normal size, right? And again, it's like, we have to just eliminate, we have to start also thinking about body diversity, right? And understanding it's like, it's a lot of the same psychological um, 
it's equally as fruitless, right? Like dieting doesn't work no matter what size you are. I mean, I could go into a whole conversation around how like people love to do body positivity with weight limits. And it's really, really problematic because, <laughs> you know, like diet, dieting does not, it's not the, everything I'm saying applies to you irrespective of what size you are. Yeah. So Isabel, I have a question here. Let me ask you this question because this is a tough question for me. It's actually a tough question in my work, but here's the deal. I don't think it's okay to eat a bag of Doritos because I think it's trash for your body created by a system who doesn't care about you and wants you to eat these addictive foods and they make you want to eat more. And like, I have vilified Doritos. I'm raising my hand and saying they are bad. I don't want them. Now, I don't have an emotional reaction around them. I'm not like, oh, I can't eat that. Like, I just truly, to me, they look like a pile of garbage and I'm not attracted to them in any way. So that's one extreme example, okay? But somewhere yeah. somewhere in the middle is like this territory where I'm like, well, hold on, how do I align a genuine desire to eat good food that aren't, you know, foods that aren't laden with a bunch of stuff that industry has put in them to make them cheap and tasty? And how do I align that with the need to stop obsessing over food and legalizing food? And like, because I truly passionately detest what is being done to our food supply. But I totally recognize that this very quickly, very quickly becomes a lever mm -hmm. in my diet mentality or my deprivation mentality or my eating clean mentality. I, I get it. Like, where's the line? How do you deal with it, Isabel? Well, so there's a few things. So number one is like, no one is holding a gun to your head saying you have to eat Doritos. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, like, do you know what I, mean? I think that this is like one of the biggest myths about the non-diet approach or body positivity Cupcakes is like every day, <laughs> right. It's like no one I act right. Like no, if you don't want to eat Doritos, don't eat Doritos. There's all sorts of things that I just don't want to eat. So I just don't eat them. Yeah. The issue is if, am I eating the things that I actually do want to eat? Right. And, or am I eating something because I should or right. I shouldn't? <laughs> and are my choices and how are my choices being affected by diet mentality rather than what my actual true desires are? Ooh, it's tough. Right. right. And what this requires is it actually requires you excavating diet mentality. It requires you doing tons of body image work and actually being able to make decisions about your health that aren't about trying to control your size. Because trying to control your size, guess what guys, isn't actually that healthy. And so the question just becomes, right, is like, can I actually make health decisions in a weight neutral way? And this is very challenging for most people because Ooh, most people hard. have complete, <laughs> right, most people have completely commingled their desire for thinness with their desire for health. And this is one of the problems. I think this has happened even in the past, like 20 years has become a much bigger problem because health has now become a rationalization right. for fat phobia, right. right? Health has now become a rationalization for dieting. Like, oh, I'm not dieting, I'm just being healthy, right? And it's like, actually the shit that you're doing, like whatever, like, you know, restricting yourself until you're so hungry that you like binge in the middle of the night or whatever, not healthy, right? So what if we actually were looking at foods, right? And and I think I think it's also worth saying that like, pleasure is healthy, right? And joy is healthy. And there are going to be foods that we just eat for those purposes. I call them like mental health foods, right? But so, and the, I think that a big part of intuitive eating is making peace with our mental health foods, right? And actually being able to enjoy our mental health foods, right? Um, however, there is absolutely a, a um, something to be said for pursuing health, right? Like there's all sorts of foods, right? Or all sorts of, you know, I, it's not 
so much like specific foods, but um, uh, like I'll say like balancing my blood sugar is a perfect example of something that's like important to me. It makes me feel good. Like I want to do it. And this is also part of intuitive eating, right? Like I listen to my body and I hear what my body has to say when I'm balancing my blood sugar, making sure that I'm getting like protein at most meals. I just feel better, right? My blood sugar is like less crashy and up and down. My energy is more stable. I feel better. That's a legitimate desire of mine. That is a want. That is a true weight neutral desire. I'm not doing it because I think it's going to make me thinner. I'm not doing it because I'm trying to control my body size. That's an actual real desire based on how I want to feel physically. Has nothing to do with me trying to control my body size or trying to control the way I appear to society. This is... This is the deal, right? And so this is why I already mentioned this book, Health at Every Size. We can still have a conversation around health, but let's just talk about for the sake, let's just say we're keeping health on the table because for a lot of people, that will be an actual true authentic desire. My true authentic desire is to feel physically well, right? Like my true authentic desire is to like actually be able to get through my work day because I'm not having sugar crashes all afternoon. And so if that's an authentic desire, there is nothing wrong with that in the context of body positivity. That's awesome. That's actually much more likely to happen if I'm not dieting. I'm actually much more likely to be able to sustainably take care of my body if I'm not dieting, if I let go of trying to control my size and actually just focus on taking care of my body the way it is right now. Most of us are not actually taking care of our bodies. Most of us are just trying to control our bodies and like make them like look a certain way. Yeah, we're trying to change it under lots of different names. We're trying to change it. Right, right. And I think, you know, it gets complicated because again, these things become commingled. Yeah. Right. So you could have a, you could have a real value towards health and be like, no, 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 Isabel, I swear to God, it really is like a value towards health. And that's why I'm making this choice. But the question is, is that value towards health being sort of tainted by this underlying desire to try to control your size? Yeah, it is. Um, Right. tainted, that's going to spur on binge eating, right? It actually becomes a deterrent to your health. This is so important. And I'll I'll be honest with you. I want to see more people like me talking about this because I'm, you know, I'm an athlete. I I compete in triathlon. It's important to me. I can't sit around and eat donuts and I don't want to. So that's a real, a real value of mine. And and I 100% commingle and just identifying that has a huge amount of power. And I sure hope it's helping someone else too, because to create an awareness, to create a cognizance of that fact is like a huge first step, like huge, right. huge, 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 huge. And now dismantling this means, okay, my job now is, is to excavate the diet mentality, excavate the diet mentality and pursue, I mean, to use like trendy language, pursue health at every size. I hope this is a new term for some of you. And I'm just like blowing your minds right now, but you know, it I is, like, it is. And you are <laughs> right. Like I am, I would say health. It's like, you know, the two books that I recommend are like, okay, like intuitive eating sort of like phase one health at every size is like phase two. There's more phases even beyond that, but like health okay. at every size is as canonical. Like it's as important. It's as critical to the literature in this conversation as intuitive eating, possibly even more so Who, whose intuitive eating book shall I tag? Evelyn Triboli and Elise Reich. Um, they wrote the like okay. the traditional intuitive eating book. It's a great like beginner guide if you're just completely new to these concepts, like to the concept of listening to your body instead of Dr. Oz. It's a great like starter guide for people who are like full on hardcore trying to control their food based on what Dr. Oz tells them to eat rather than listening to their hunger and fullness and listening to their body and listening to how their body feels. If that sounds like gibberish to you or like airy fairy language go read intuitive eating i gotta ask you a question here 
the intuitive eating, I think one of the reasons I struggle with it is because I struggle with the idea of just like, love yourself to lose weight. Like take a bubble bath if you're having cravings. Like it makes me insane. <laughs> and I am commingling those concepts, I think. Can you talk to me about that a little bit? Like this whole like love yourself movement? Because people yeah. don't love themselves when they're in that place. And I think it's ridiculous <sighs> to talk to somebody who feels terrible, who's treating their body like a garbage can and feels cra- like they feel crazy. They feel legitimately crazy. And they're like, love yourself. The first step is to love you. And they're like, (laughs) I would say the first step is to accept yourself. Right. And again, that's not necessarily easy for everyone, but I mean, body positivity is an important goal to work towards for sure. Like being able to get to the point where you're like, you feel have like, you know, at least can accept and accept does not have anything to do with liking or loving. Like I accept the sky is blue. It doesn't matter whether or not I like it or love it. It's blue. Like it's just blue. I accept that. And you can even be grateful for it. You can be like, oh, look, there it is. It's my body. It works. Right, right, right. Exactly. So I typically, I use more like acceptance, especially early on for people. I use acceptance language much more than I use like love language. Love is an interesting word, right? It means different things for different people. Like how are we using that word? Are we using that term to mean I like the way my body looks, which is actually a pretty superficial definition of the word love. Good point, Isabel. That's a really good point. Or are we using it to mean like, love yourself the way you would love your child and actually take care of your body. This is the human being that actually beats your heart for you. Like, do you get that? We can also talk about acceptance. I talk about acceptance language a lot, right? But those things are important to actually start working towards and actually thinking about meditating on. The problem is that no one's having really honest conversations about what that means. No one's having the conversation that we're having right now. Mm-hmm. about like, what does that actually even look like? People mm-hmm. just, I think people immediately assume it just means oh, I'm just like really happy with the way I look because that's the only thing I've ever been trained to think about when it comes to my body. It's like we walk by the mirror and we're like, I'm amazing. Which by the way, I do believe you should do that. I'm just saying it's a really hard leap for people who are in a binge deprivation cycle to be like, grab that ass and tell it that you love it. I think that's a hard leap. Yeah, it's a way later stage situation. And there are people who like will struggle with that phase for the rest of their lives. Whereas like right now we're just talking about like acceptance That's fair. and we're talking about, and even that's hard for people, obviously, but like, let's just make that goalpost number one. Number two, if you want to have conversations around love, let's actually have conversations about what that means, right? Love is a verb as like a act of service to your, towards your body. Those kinds of definitions are much more useful than like, I look great, which is in my opinion, not even the point of this work at all, really. Again, if you know, if you want to get there, if you want to work towards that, I think that that's very possible. And I talk about strategies for getting there, and I've done a lot of that work myself. But that's like super, very superficial level, and like also like it's just not even relevant to people. Most of the people who are probably listening to this, that conversation is like, if you're really struggling with food right now, that conversation is like kind of far off. Okay, okay, and that's the problem with like the internet is that you're looking at somebody else's chapter thirty-seven, and you're you know right. you're, you're at the right preface right okay and a lot of people on the internet are full of shit like do you know what I mean a lot of people (laughs) right like they're lying like they're lying to themselves they're not actually having honest conversations about what they're dealing with either right so anyway but but, but, side note 
But going back to the intuitive eating conversation, you know, like I get really triggered, but like, you know, I call it the love yourself to lose weight diet, which the thing that I find problematic about the love yourself to losing, lose weight diet is not necessarily the love yourself part, which again, you know, when you get into like different definitions of love and talking about acceptance, and you know, the way that I would, I work around it with clients is very different than what I imagine most people are envisioning, which is the, like you said, like I walk by the mirror and I just love myself, you know, like that's a little ridiculous. But the problem from my perspective, the love yourself to lose weight diet or just the body positivity, right? Like, you know, the, the working towards body positivity, working towards healing your relationship with food, working towards healing, disordered eating, binge eating, all of these things to lose weight, right? Like doing all of this work to heal my relationship with food to lose weight, right? It's like, whoa, have you missed the point? Mm. And not only have you missed the point, this whole problem starts with the fact that you are desperately trying to control your size at all costs. That's where this problem starts. You cannot heal the problem with the problem. I mean, we call it so many different things, but we're only trying the same thing over and over again, and that is to right. change the way that we look. <laughs> right. It's like, exactly. It's like, it's just become so normative. It just becomes so presumed, so assumed, right? That thinness obviously should be a thing that I should want and be able to get however I may define it for myself, right? Whatever I should be able to get it, I should be able to, and I, and of course I want that. And it's just completely unquestioned, right? And this is incredibly problematic because what people don't realize is like everyone's like so many people, I think specifically for binge eaters, like people specifically and especially for people who identify as binge eaters, emotional eaters, I, I hate the word food addiction, but if you identify with that, I'm going to put you in this category. All of these people who are identifying with those terms, they're all just, it's like this whole thing is like, I want to heal this so that I can lose weight. Meanwhile, it's like, well, do you realize that your desperate attempts at trying to lose weight are what is literally fueling this entire cycle? Enti you cannot heal this and be constantly trying to lose weight. You cannot. It's impossible. They're, it's like two things that just don't fit. Isabel, everyone's going to be saying, why do you hate the term food addiction? Tell me really fast. <laughs> okay, okay. There are a few reasons. And again, this is a really, really long conversation because for a lot of people, I'd have to get into like why a lot of the science around this is bullshit. Like basically, I'll just put out there that a lot of the science around quote unquote physical addiction, this came up briefly with the whole Doritos conversation, yeah. right? Kind of moved over it, right? Is really blown out of proportion. Um, almost to the point where I think a lot of it is just entirely bullshit. Um, in certain studies, yes, there are foods that are going to be like engineered to be more pleasurable, right? And give us more pleasurable and this, thus more like dopamine in our brain or whatever, right? Like if I'm like eating something sweet and fatty, like I am biologically programmed to find that super yeah, pleasurable. Yeah, of course, of course. Pleasure is actually a natural thing that we're supposed to experience. Every time you hear beautiful music that you love, you get a dope rush. Are you a music addict? So what, what do you say to people then that come to you and they say, well, I would, I'd be okay, but I have a sugar addiction. Like that's my big thing is I have a sugar addiction. What do you say to them? I would say, let's talk about what that means in your actual lived experience when you just stop using trendy language. What does that actually mean in your lived experience? And nine times out of 10, actually I would say 10 times out of 10, they'll be like, I feel out of control around food. That's what people actually means when they say that they are addicted to food is like, if I eat that thing, I can't stop. I feel out of control. When I eat the thing, I can't stop. I feel out of control. And then the second question I ask them is, have you ever tried to restrict that food? And they always say yes. 
Okay, for the people right now who just are like, you guys just blew my world up a little bit. You challenge the way I think. And I don't care if you guys agree or disagree. We just want to start a conversation around this and get you thinking because this is so not the last time we'll be talking about this. Where do they start? They're like, okay, so now what? Okay, so if you are just like even like moderately curious (laughs) about what the hell I do, start with my like introduction series like my like entree into my world like if you just are like curious about my world start with my video training series um which i think you're gonna put a link to somewhere absolutely it's solidly free i watched it that's why i called isabel yes 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 right right you watch the video training series and you're like we need to discuss correct so the video training series is like the intro to the work and it's like where everyone starts. Like that's sort of, it's required if you wanted to ever like take any of my like programs. I'm like, you have to go through the video training series. You just go, the video training series is like, okay, what is, what are we talking about? From there, I think that there are, you know, the, you'll be opened up to my world. You know, you'll obviously have opportunities to like hear and read and see all yeah. sorts of stuff. Again, my world is elaborate um, and there is a lot to learn. There is a lot of bullshit to undo, uh, a lot of diet mentality, a lot of body shame to undo. This is a huge, 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 huge deal for most women who are struggling with this issue. So yeah, so that, I mean, I'll just stop there and I'll just say that's, that's the beginning. I'll make it easy. Absolutely. Make it easy. Yeah. I mean, from there, you'll also get just sent sent to my regular blog. Like once you're in the video training series, you'll kind of get access to everything. But yeah, I would start with my video training series link below. All right. We're going to do that. And Isabel, I I believe so much in the work that you're doing. I'm going to share a lot more of your work. I'll talk more about that. I'm going to do a little follow-up to this show on my own and get people some more details here. But you guys, this is a conversation for those of you who are resonating right now. This is not over and there's a lot more to talk about here. Isabel, you're amazing. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Isabel, keep rocking it and I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Okay, everyone, I hope you enjoyed today's show and got something out of it that you can use. If you did and you want to learn more, just go to onairwithella.com where I put up links to all of the good stuff that we talked about today and more information about our guests and all the good stuff that you did not need to write down today because I got you covered. Don't forget to join our Facebook page and thanks for those phenomenal reviews in iTunes. Every great review helps and we read every one. Thanks for listening and thanks for inspiring me. You are quite simply awesome.